this week. I'm up really high and I can see the whole area. I can see the water. I can see the cottages. And then that moment is gone to being in the water, but like underwater, Mm. but just perfect peace. Like I've never experienced since. I've never experienced it before. Perfect peace. Everyone thinks drowning is the most horrible thing ever, but apparently. When a wakeboarding accident left Leah Nielsen unable to read, walk straight, or use a computer, she knew her life would never be the same. But that turned out to be a blessing. Leah and I talk about how in the five years since her accident, she's had to lean on her faith for everything. She shares her struggle with depression and grief, but how through her suffering, she's realized she isn't alone. And she reflects on how losing the life she planned has given her opportunity and purpose she wouldn't otherwise have. Because how do you find your footing when you can't walk in a straight line? You find a little faith. I'm Marin Smith, and this is Keeping Faith. Keeping Faith is located on the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabek people in Hamilton, Ontario, and Leah Nielsen lives on Anishinaabek territory in Guelph, Ontario. What gives you hope right now, or is there a story from your life recently that has connected you with your sense of faith or hope? Um, My hope is founded in God, for sure, and... I do have a couple of stories. Um, One would be last month. So my dog Athena is 13 and a half and we took her to the vet just because she had like some skin, like dryness, nothing, nothing at all major. And then while we were there, they're like, oh, she's behind on her shots. So they gave her three shots and um, fast forward a day later, she's basically dying. Her body's shutting down. she had like an auto autoimmune response. Right. So she's dying. And backstory is Athena is my soulmate and I love her more than anything. So it was super, super hard. And then I just was crying out to God. Um, we were in the living room. We couldn't leave the living room because she could barely move. She peed the bed, like everything. So we were staying in the living room and I'm just crying out to God for a miracle. And God gave me the miracle. And she's restored, like you saw her today. She is full of life and just completely restored. And I know a lot of people would kind of scoff at that. Um, A lot of people don't believe in miracles at all, let alone a miracle for a dog. But I think too often we we put limits on God, and He's limitless. So why wouldn't He heal a dog? Mm -hmm. So, anyways, that was that was very recent, um, a moment that filled me with hope and restored faith, all of that. Um, wait, I lost my train. You asked the question? Again. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's okay. So just like a story about faith and hope that's happened to you recently. Okay, so we have this partnership with um, an orphanage in Lebanon. It's new this year. Um, 
Is that through your church? Yes. Okay. So my church has partnered with this orphanage called Cedar Home in Lebanon, and it's a home for girls. Um, they take in girls that, you know, are in dire situations. Like, some of them are Syrian refugees. Um, yeah. And the situation in Lebanon is, so the girls can't go to school. But when they're in Cedar Home, they can. So they're being educated, they're being housed, they're being fed, they're being loved. Anyways, great organization. So we made a partnership with them. And so one of the kickoff things was I was in charge of running a prayer picnic. Mm. Just a very simple thing. I was doing it after the service on a Sunday so that, you know, tons of people could just come outside, hear about Cedar Home, like get excited. Um, So the day comes and I've got it all set up got my volunteers there we've got chairs all over the yard and just a handful of people trickle out so I was feeling super (laughs) discouraged because I'm like think of the children anyways and hardly anyone shows up and I'm trying not to take it personally oh and it started to rain (laughs) so we had to like come back inside it wasn't going well anyways and God's plans are so much better than mine always and he showed me this time and time again So the cool thing was, even though I had planned this event to happen and it should have gone this way, he totally turned it around and made it so much better. So we hardly had anyone. But someone that did come was my neighbor. My neighbor doesn't go to my church. My neighbor, I literally just, I walk my dog by her, we chat. She asked what I was doing that weekend. I mentioned the prayer picnic. I wasn't inviting her. I wasn't like pressuring her, nothing. I just mentioned it. She showed up and... uh, she was so excited to hear all about the kids and about Lebanon. And then she whispers in my ear, I want to donate $5,000. Wow. This wasn't a fundraiser. Like, we weren't even starting the fundraising part yet. And, uh, yeah, she donated $5,000. And just, again, God's plans are so much better than mine. Even if this event was just to bring her out and just to, you know, show her how to give to these kids. Um, so, I don't know. I just... My hope and faith is always restored when God shows me his plans are so much better than mine. Yeah. Um, you know, there's that, the old saying, like, humans make plans, God laughs, <laughs> right? Um, is that something you see playing out a lot in your life? Um, yes and no, because, because of the way my life has come along, the journey or whatever, I've, I've learned to make loose plans, Mm-hmm. I'm not someone that has planned my whole life out and knows exactly what's going to happen in five years. I'm one of those people that, you know, have a vague idea of how I would like it to go, but I don't hold fast to anything because I know how fluid life is. I know how much it can change in an instant. And uh, I know that ultimately God can do whatever whatever he wants, <laughs> good or bad. And yeah, so I try not to hold too tightly to anything. I think that is something that's very challenging for a lot of people. (laughs) For sure. Because I think a lot of people feel very vulnerable Mm -hmm. in circumstances that they can't control or they don't plan. How have you learned to manage that? Because I'm sure that comes up for you (laughs) from time to time. Um, It's honestly, it's just, it's a time thing. Like, throughout the years, it's like anything in life. Like you exercise a certain amount, you get better and better and better at something. So even the exercise of trusting, it's an exercise. Every day you choose to trust God. So it's become second nature. So it's not, it's not too difficult. I only really struggle with Athena. Like Athena is the one area I struggle with trust. So 
let's go like back in time a little bit mm-hmm. and go back to where your sense of faith came from. So what were what were you taught about faith and hope mm. as a young person? So I grew up, um, my parents were Christians, and so they brought us to church right from birth. Um, we grew up going every Sunday like it wasn't an option. So I grew up with a Baptist background. Um, we were taught that the Bible is true, like completely true, and that Jesus saves anyone who receives him. And so that's how I grew up, and then it, it it's evolved from there, Yeah, I guess. So what... What was, like, the spiritual life you were a part of? Like, were you going to groups? Were you, like... We went to Awana, and it's for, like, kids. It's kind of like brownies, but for Christians. Okay. <laughs> so you'd get, like, little awards for memorizing verses and, you know, perfect attendance, things like that. So I went to that, and then when I got older, I went to youth group, which is, you know, just hanging out with teens. And, yeah, you do fun stuff. You learn stuff. It's kind of everything. It's funny, because... I, I did that stuff growing up, and then when I graduated from youth group, I actually became a leader, so I've never left. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I was still there, um, helping with the youth every single week. Yeah. And outside of going to church and these things, did you have spiritual practices you did on your own as a kid? No, ultimately it came down to, is it real for you? Because if it's real for you, then you want to learn more. You want to have a relationship with God. So you want to pray because you want to talk to him. So for me, it was, well, I want this faith to be my own. I want this to be real. So it's investing the time praying and reading the Bible. And obviously, like that ebbs and flows throughout life. You know, I get real lazy or I get sad or, you know, life changes some things. But for the most part, just investing the time. So it wasn't a struggle for you to want to be a part of the faith community you were in? No, it wasn't a struggle. Like, it, for me, worked. It always worked. And I I get it. Like, other people, it's a struggle. Like, my brothers, so I have three brothers, and all three of them walked away. And I think that's, it's something where everybody needs to examine their own faith. And even for me, like, yes, it's easier for me personality-wise and I don't know, just who I am, it was easier. But also, I still came to a point in my teens where I had to separate my parents' faith from my own faith. Mm. Like, you, your parents' faith is not real for you. You have to have your own faith. You have to actually have a growing relationship with God, or you don't. And so for me, I, I forget, I think it was like 13 when I really examined that and said, no, like, I, I want this. I, I want to make it my own and invest in it. Um, and for my brothers, I don't know what ages, but they all chose the other. And I think, I think that's something people lose sight of is they take for granted, oh, you grew up in the church. That's just the way you are or whatever. But it's like, no, you have to make a choice or the choice is made for you. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk a bit more about your experience as a teen and coming into your own sense of faith? So I went to, um, there was a youth event at, ooh, it was up north. It was a big thing, like teenagers from everywhere, and you you go and there's awesome music and there's great speakers, and, and I don't remember exactly what the speaker was talking about, but basically I felt challenged and like, it was that realization of, whoa, like, do I believe? Or am I just following what I've been told to do? And so it was 
just making that decision for real to follow Christ and and really invest spiritually in my life. So yeah, so I kind of started changing at 13. Now I was a really shy, like painfully shy person. Like it was debilitating. So my faith was, wasn't being expressed to its full extent because of my crippling like shyness. Um, so later on, I started to just, again, trust God that, you know, this is more about Him than it is about what people are looking at me, you know, or how I feel right now in this moment. And that was like in my 20s, but I just, again, made a decision to trust God and serve so yes, I was working with the youth, but I was very comfortable working with the youth. So in my 20s, I um, got asked to run a program, an after-school program, and I was, that's not me personality-wise, or it wasn't, it is now, but personality-wise, it wasn't me. Yeah. And so I was asked to do this program because they needed a leader, nobody was stepping up. So then um, I remember reading uh, a magnet, and it says, faith is taking the first step, even when you don't see the the whole staircase Mm. and that was exactly what was happening because I was like I can't see how this is going to turn out I can't see how you know me being so shy and quiet how am I going to lead 60 kids yeah and like 15 leaders yeah like I can't see it but that wasn't the point it was am I going to take that first step and so I did and just watched God show up (laughs) hi Athena (laughs) You came to visit. You want to be on the podcast, too? Hi, cutie. Oh, boy. You want to come lie down? Yeah. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Will you be good? Come. Come here, sweetie. Um, Okay, so we talked a little bit about how you had to find your own sense of faith when, and that started for you as a teen and then continued into your 20s. Um, But your faith is still connected to where you came from. Mm-hmm. So have you, even as your your faith has grown, like what have you stayed connected with from what you were taught growing up? And the second half of that question is what has maybe changed or evolved for you? I'm going to start with the second part because yeah. it's on my mind. Sure. Um, so growing up, we were taught a lot how God is your father. God the father is a big part of the Christian faith. And for me, that was a big struggle because you automatically compare with your earthly father. Right. And my earthly father, a little of a weirdo, you've met him, um, he just screams hypocrisy in a way. And so I think that's also why my brothers walked away, truthfully. But so for me, it was realizing that God the Father is nothing like my human father and I think I think that's a sticking point for a lot of people um, mm-hmm. is you you compare God to what you know and what you understand in mm-hmm. your life so for me for a long time that was a huge problem was God the father like how how because for me the word father wasn't necessarily a positive term yeah um, but then realizing no they're two completely separate things who my father is is not necessarily who God intends a father to be So, um, yeah, just learning as an adult that they're two separate things. How did you come to that? Um, It took a long time, but I reached a point where 
again, you have these moments in life where you just have to make a decision. Do you know what I mean? And I realized I was holding a lot of resentment and bitterness that I didn't have a loving earthly father, like that, you know, there was some holes there. And so there's a lot of bitterness growing. And so the first thing for me was, okay, well, you have a choice. Are you going to just keep holding on to this and being bitter and resentful? Or are you going to let it go and you're going to forgive him and realize he's just, he's so flawed, he's a human, and move on. And so I did that. And it's just, it's so, I don't know the word, it's just the release of that. Because I'm the one carrying the burden by being angry. So I let go of that. And now it's it's strange because now... I, in my 30s, have a relationship with my father that I never had and never would have had if I had kept holding on to the, the resentment. And then it's also transferred into my relationship with God is there's none of that comparison. Mm-hmm. Like when I let it go, I let it all go. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. now there's no comparison. I mean, once in a while, it's a little weird when people at church are saying something about God the Father in a certain way. You know, you still go back and revert and have that little twinge, but... For the most part, like it's, I got over it and and moved on from it. Yeah. the The other half of that question, what what has stayed with you? Sure. So, yeah. like, who Jesus is in the Bible when I was a kid is still who Jesus is today, and just it's what I what I understand now has changed and and grown, and just how I live my life now as an adult, I have more freedom to serve. Like, a big part of um, my husband and my life is serving others. Like, we want to serve others. There's so much joy in serving others. And, um, yeah, just understanding that, like, who Jesus was and who Jesus wants us to be is such a positive thing and such a, a, like, a giving, loving, sacrificial thing. And that's why it makes me so sad when people hate Christians and hate the church. It's because they've been shown the opposite of Jesus. They've been shown, like, judgment. They've been shown hate. And it's like... No, if you could just go and read like a portion of who Jesus actually was, you know what I mean? It's so far removed from who you see on the street that has these signs and stuff. Like it's throughout history, (laughs) like Christians have shown the opposite of Jesus's love. And that's devastating. Accident. I sure did. (laughs) It was a dark and stormy night. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. It was a sunny day. Yeah. Yeah. So we were at my husband and I. We were at our friend's cottage, and we were going for one last rip on the wakeboards. I love wakeboarding, or did. So it was the last run of the day. It was my turn, and I went, and I was trying to jump the waves, and it's just one of those things. Like I did it. And then when I landed, it was like caught the toe, hit the water so hard. We were going real fast, right? So just hit in such a way that I was knocked out. But also I scorpioned, which is where your feet come back up behind you and you kick yourself in the head with the board. Wow. So it was a double hit, velocity and the board. Um, so I was unconscious and you have a 50-50 shot with a wakeboard. You're either going to be face down or face up and it's the board's going to hold you there. So I was face down. So... At this point, I'm drowning, and 
my husband said, um, like, they brought the boat back around, and they're like, what's she doing? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, oh, she's moving. Maybe she's resting. <laughs> Anyways, but my husband knows me really well, and he's also, he's a policeman, and he sees things a little differently than everyone else. So he realized I was convulsing because I was drowning. And um, so when they got close enough, like, he jumped in and flipped me over and did, like, some squeezes on me in the water just to get the water out of my lungs right away. Um, and then my other friend jumped in, too, to help him and the other guys in the boat. Like, So they all worked together to get me out. And I was out for 20 minutes. And, uh, yeah, it's a whole other story, but the whole um, out-of-body experience is real. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like in the movies. So I'm literally, I don't know how many hundred feet, like I'm a hundred feet, I don't know, distance, but I'm up really high and I can see the whole area. I can see the water. I can see the cottages. I can see all of it. And I can see like the boat and everything. And then that moment is gone of seeing everything to being in the water, but like underwater, Mm -hmm. but just perfect peace. Like, I've never experienced since. I've never experienced it before. Perfect peace. Everyone thinks drowning is the most horrible thing ever, but apparently. (laughs) So, yeah, I experienced perfect peace as I was dying. (laughs) But then then I started to come back, and everything sucked. Um, So I woke up, and I couldn't tell what was happening. So I, I opened my eyes and Chris's face is like right beside my face. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What's happening? And he's like, for the sixth time, you were wakeboarding. And then I start to have that awareness of my own body. And I, so like I, with my own hands, I touch my uh, life jacket and I'm like, oh. <laughs> and then I'm like, I can feel that I'm wet and I am apparently lying down. <laughs> And I can see the sky zooming by, and I can hear frantic voices. Like, you start to just slowly, bit by bit, figure out what's happening, but at the same time, you don't really know. Anyways, and uh, they thought I broke my neck, Mm -hmm. so that was the big worry at the time. Yeah, and then the firemen, I guess, were the ones that met us. Put me on a backboard, went in an ambulance. It was a long ride, (laughs) so I started to go into shock in the ambulance, I remember getting to the hospital because when you're in shock, you're like freezing to death. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was just so cold and they brought like hot towels. I remember that. That was nice. And then um, it sucked at the hospital because no one, like they just cared that they thought I broke my neck. So that was the big thing and I get it. So they wanted the x-ray. They got the x-ray. I'm on this backboard and at this point it's excruciating. Like I am wailing Mm -hmm. because it's like there's a knife in my head. It's just so, so painful. They didn't actually check my head, (laughs) which is like, hello. Anyways, they didn't check my head. They pumped me full of drugs. And then um, they come back and they say, oh, your neck's not broken. And then uh, a doctor comes in, hands my husband a pamphlet and says, your wife has a concussion. And that's it. So then, uh, yeah, my husband gets me dressed I can't even like dress myself so he's putting shoes on me my friend had showed up with uh clothes because I they had to cut my clothes off right at the hospital so they dress me and then um as they're putting my shoes on I reach behind my head and I have this giant goose egg that's why it hurt so much on the backboard 
So I'm like, oh no. And then so then the nurse comes because they now hear me saying this about my head. And then they check and they're like, well, it's not bleeding. <laughs> yeah. So then they just sent me home. And then uh, things got so much worse. Like it's a four hour drive and I'm just in the back like some sort of weird zombie. Reality has shifted. Like everything is different. Like the way I see things are different. Everything has changed. And I know, but I'm like, oh, I have a concussion. I know what that means. Can you describe what that was like? I don't know. Like if you had different, someone put weird goggles on you or different glasses. So like everything you see is different, but not like different, different, like just different. But then it, it, over days, it got worse. Oh, funny story. Interesting story. The brain is fascinating. So I remember going home and going to the bathroom and we had this little book that I always had in the bathroom, right? And I remember picking it up and just looking at it and going, huh, I can't read. Wow. Like I could see that there was like markings on it. I knew that there were letters. I knew that there were words and I couldn't decipher it. Right. But I wasn't scared. I was just like, whoa. <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool at the wow. time. Wow. Yeah, so I was messed up. Anyways, but then it got worse, and I ended up uh, a couple days later like with severe vertigo to the point where Chris was like trying to hold me down because I felt like I was literally on one of those rides. Wow, That's yeah. going to chuck you across the room. So back to the hospital, and then they, I don't know, they were like, no, this is, this is a bigger deal. But still, they're just like... It's just, you know, it's a severe concussion. Like, so it was just, it was then trying to navigate being completely disabled, really. Because at that point, I couldn't walk in a straight line. My head was shaking a lot. Everything was off. Like, noise sensitivity, huge light sensitivity. Like, all the classic things, but then some extra little nuggets. Oh, the one thing. This happened August... Um, August 17th. August 1st, I had been offered my first teaching contract. Right. So, yeah, I was offered my first teaching contract. And then, you know, two weeks later, I bashed my brains in. And then that became, like, my fixation is I need to go to school. I need to go to school. Like, this is my dream job. I have to do it. So I ended up, uh, I was doing, um, what's that called? Vestibular rehabilitation. Okay. What does that involve? Um, you do a lot of exercises, like where you put your thumb in front of your eyes and then you shake your head back and forth, up and down, things like that. And okay. you just do it like three times a day. And then every time, like I do it and then I'd almost barf and like lie down. Wow. Yeah, it was just, it was bad. But, anyways, I managed to convince that doctor that, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I can go to work. Yeah. <laughs> so he cleared me to work mornings or something. And I went for, mm, I think it was a week. And then my brain shut off completely, like black. Apparently your brain can make everything go black and then keep a pinhole so you can still see. Okay. So it's like, everything's black except for this pinhole. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> so then they're, they're like, nope, you can't work anymore. Anyway, so then uh, I spent all my days at home. And Chris covered all the windows with cardboard. So I literally lived in a cave for months. Wow. Just trying to do these exercises. So it was vestibular re rehabilitation and then uh, balance. Mm -hmm. And then later um, I was doing vision therapy. Yeah, lots of therapies, lots of struggles. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's the weirdest thing. It's something you can't understand until you're in it. Mm -hmm. um, being incapable of doing things that you've always been able to do, like walk in a straight line. Right. Like, I remember some of it was funny. 
I remember walking Athena with Chris, and so he would have to take me at night, and he would hold my hand, but then when we get into the park, eventually he'd let go. Well, <laughs> as soon as he'd let go, I would just veer off to the right until I was against a tree. And I'd see the tree, but I couldn't help it. I would just stop because I would be stuck to this tree. And it was the weirdest thing, and I didn't have like peripheral vi- vision at all. It was like wearing a hood all the time. Um, I was having hallucinations. So, like, the brain is uh, fascinating, but also terrifying when you have no control over it. Yeah. So, you've described, like, a couple different ways that you felt over this time. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more, like, were you scared about what was happening, or were you curious, or, like, you know? Um, I felt everything. So, there were times, like, at the beginning when I couldn't read. To me, that was fascinating. But I was also not scared yet because I knew in my understanding a concussion lasts a few weeks and then you're a normal person again. So I wasn't scared. And then um, fear kept, crept in um, more the longer it was because like you kind of reach these milestones where you're like, well, concussions normally are okay by now. And then it's like, well, once in a while, you know, you get like a year long concussion like Sidney Crosby, right? Oh, okay, okay. So that's kind of the next marker, right? Well, now we're past that. So you'd hit all these markers and you'd get different emotions and despair and all these things. Um, But I also ended up getting more um, knowledge when we had a really good neurologist Mm -hmm. in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And so he was amazing. So he sent me for... um, a SPECT scan, which is a nuclear imaging scan. They put uh, dye in your veins and then watch it flow or not flow (laughs) through your brain. Mm -hmm. So when that scan came back, it showed that I actually had damage in two areas. And then that's when kind of things shifted because everyone up until that point had just been like, oh, you have a concussion, get over it. You know, it's just taking longer than normal. What's wrong with you? Um, But then once they got that um, information and they could see there was actual structural damage, then the doctors took it more seriously and they were like, oh, this is a big deal. But it's frustrating because you're like, okay, well, for almost a year I've been floundering. But yeah, the neurologist was great. He looks at the report and can tell me exactly what I can't do just based on where the damage is. Wow. So that was amazing. So what has been the lasting effect Um, so like I've learned to adapt. That's the big thing is, um, adapting. So most people look at me and they think, what are you talking about? You're completely normal. Right. Because I know how to adapt. Like I know my limits and I work around them and I make it work. You know what I mean? So for me, it's, I nap every day. Okay. And I know people like, oh, I wish I could nap every day. Well, I wish I didn't have to nap every day. So I nap every day, um... It's like I have a faulty phone battery for a brain, so it won't last a normal full day. So then I just, you know, plug it in for an hour, (laughs) recharge a bit, and then I can make it. And also that if I'm, you know, well-rested all the time, then I won't have seizures. So seizures are one of my problems. Um, They're just those little focal ones. I don't fall down, nothing like that. They're just little tiny things. Most people wouldn't even catch them. Right. But anyways, so yeah. It's the energy thing has changed a lot. Um, Seizures, memory, time management. (laughs) I still wander a lot. Um, 
emotional. I don't know, emotional. I was always emotional. It's just slightly different now. Maybe better though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, so obviously your plan for your life had to change a lot mm, yeah. as a result of that. And so what was that like? Yeah, so that was, mm, that's probably the hardest part throughout this whole thing was, like, I worked hard to be a teacher, and that was, you know, the goal. Um, and like I had said, I'd just been offered my first contract. So just realizing, like, I don't know, it's hard to explain. So I have struggled over this past five and a half years. Like, the first year I couldn't work at all, obviously. But... um just realizing I'm never going to be that teacher that I thought I was. I'm never going to be with my own classroom full days, you know, for the next whatever amount of years. That's not going to be me. So that's been really hard to accept. Um, but at the same time, it's weird. It depends on the day. You know how it is. Like, it depends on your emotions and where your head's at. But there are some days I still cry about it because... Because I love kids and I want to invest. But at the same time, um, it's trusting God. Like, he has a better plan for me. And it's cool because right now, like, I still, I go and I supply. And I do, I just do half days when I want to. Mm -hmm. Or when I can. Like, if I'm having a terrible day, like, I don't, I don't have to take a job, you know. So there's the flexibility of that. There's realizing there's bigger things in life. Um, I can still serve people, you know, that, that's still a possibility. And also starting this little ice cream bike business, like that wouldn't have happened if I was a full-time teacher. I would never have had the freedom to start that, but I don't know, it's all perspective, right? So yes, does it suck that I can't be a teacher? Absolutely. But is it cool to have freedom to do different things and pursue other things and serve people in other ways. Yeah. At the beginning of our conversation, you talked about miracles and the idea that people don't often believe that miracles are possible. Mm -hmm. Do you see that in the story of your accident? Do you see miracles in that? It's hard because I'm so close to it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard to see it. There have been lots of miracles. They're just not... Like, when you think miracle, you think healing usually is the number one. So people are like, well, your brain's not healed. <laughs> but it has healed a lot. Like, think about it. I couldn't read a word of English, you know, day one. And now I can do pretty much anything. So there have been a lot of miracles. It's just not... It's not always the way you want it to be or think it's going to be. And I'm actually really thankful that it's not. I'm thankful that he didn't just heal me like that. Because I wouldn't have learned these things. I wouldn't have grown in these ways. And um, I wouldn't have had to rely on him. And I mean, I had to rely on him for everything. Every moment of every day. And so I learned to embrace the challenges. So like, let's say I, I started getting wonky, like I was going to have a seizure. Or something was going to happen or... I couldn't think because there's too much noise and something was happening. It was to use those moments instead of just being like, woe is me, this isn't fair, blah, 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 was like leaning into God. 
I need you. I can't do this. And so I was blessed in that being so broken took me back to God in the little ways. Was there ever a time where you struggled with doubt? Doubt either, am I going to get better? Mm. Doubt, and why did this happen to me? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. oh, for sure. Of course. (laughs) I mean, I've had had a long time to uh, mull this one over. So, yeah, especially at the beginning, um, so much confusion, doubt, depression, like just all all of the emotions. Um, Yeah, I struggle... I don't know if doubt is the word I would use, and I think that's why I get caught. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What feels more real to you? Well, it's kind of tied with doubt, but depression, like, in a way, depression is tied to doubt, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because if I truly believe God knows what's best for my life, why am I depressed? So, like, I struggle with depression, which to me is kind of a form of doubt. Right. And, yeah, so... With the accident, there was a, a season of deep depression. And, I mean, it made sense. You can't do any of your old life, and your friends just start disappearing because you live in a cave. So, like, it's it's a natural, I call it circumstantial depression. <laughs> um, but then there's also just, throughout life, I've had depression come and go and, you know that fog that takes over so yeah I would say I struggle more with depression Chris has got me through a ton of this because he he knows me he's known me (laughs) most of my life and he's just so supportive and loving and he can also you know pray with me and direct me back to God when I'm having those moments but he also like will just let me cry. You know what I mean? Like, he'll let me cry that I can't do this or I can't do that. Um. So you said Chris has helped you through that. Has there been anything else that you can point to that's really helped you with that? Mm -hmm. I really love the Psalms. Um, I listen to the Psalms on my phone. And I remember when the accident happened, um, I couldn't read at all, obviously. So I would listen to books and listen to things just that's all I could do really so I'd listen so Psalms was one of those things I would listen to on my phone and I remember there was this one Psalm uh, Psalm 40 that I just listened to over and over and over again because it was exactly what I was going through and even now like five and a half years later like the Psalms are my go-to because David and the other psalmists like they're just crying out to God. They're so raw. They're so emotional. They're struggling with depression. They're struggling with doubt. They're struggling with all of the raw human emotions. And so I keep going back to the Psalms because it's nice to have someone that understands you for one. So it's that understanding piece, but also it's like a lot of times Christians make the mistake of you're not allowed to feel negative emotions well, they're all through the Bible, and like the Psalms are peppered with despair. So, yeah, I go back to them because I'm like, it's okay that I feel this way, but usually at the end of the Psalms, he's praising God again. Do you know what I mean? So you go through the turmoil, you go through all those things, but at the end, you're still, you still know who God is, you still know he's your rock, 
but you're still going to feel all those things and life is still going to be hard. Like David was, you know, pursued to be killed. So like life isn't going to be rosy, but you're allowed to feel, but just know who God really is. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what would you say to somebody who's gone through, maybe it's not an accident, but a big, like it could be, but also like a big, huge change in their life that has maybe caused everything that they thought was going to happen to be washed out? Mm. Or what would you say to yourself if you could talk to yourself five years ago? (laughs) Buckle up. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be rough. Um, To myself, I don't know that I would tell myself much because if you think about telling yourself, P.S., it's going to be five years of you not being able to do this, 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 and this, and this, Like, I don't think anyone would be able to handle that. Even though it's a timeline, it doesn't actually help you. So I don't think I would tell myself much except, like, trust. Trust God. You know, it's going to be hard, it's going to be tough, but you got to trust. I wouldn't give details because that wouldn't be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Would you give anyone else a piece of advice if they were going through something similar or a time of really deep change in their life? I think, again, it's about trust and maybe encourage them to look at all the ways God has come through for them to that point because ultimately it all boils down to trust. Does that make sense? Like, yep. To trust God and to look at the pattern of their life and different instances where God showed up for them. Then they can hopefully look forward and know that, well... He showed up before, why wouldn't he show up now? Mm-hmm. What do you say to someone or people that have been hurt by Christianity mm. or are afraid to approach it because of what they've experienced in their life about it? I'm deeply sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm truly sorry because I know it's it's a huge stumbling block for most people. Either they came from a church that hurt them or their parents came from a church that hurt them. Like, everyone knows someone that's been hurt by the church. And it's just so sad because the church shouldn't affect your personal relationship with God, but it does. And so I guess I would just, I would encourage them to remember that what is the church? Well, the church is just a whole bunch of people, right? It's just a whole bunch of people, and whenever you have a whole bunch of people or you have a big family, like, it is messy, and it's full of broken people. So I would encourage them to remember that these are individuals who might not even be reflecting God at all. Do you know what I mean? Or they're they're not listening to the words of Jesus. Like, people are broken, and the system often is very broken, I mean, I've been hurt by the church too. Like it, it happens so frequently. But I would, I would hope that that the relationship they have with God is strong enough and real enough that that wouldn't break them. Does that make sense?
So the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines faith in three ways. The first is as an allegiance or duty to something. The second is as a belief or trust in something that's greater than yourself. Mm -hmm. And the third is something that you believe or know beyond a shadow of a doubt. So I'm going to ask each of those to you as a question. Okay. (laughs) And you can reflect on what that means to you in your life and your faith journey. So what do you feel a duty or allegiance to? Service. Like I... I feel that it's my purpose in life to serve other people. That would be the big one. Yeah. What do you put your faith or trust in that's bigger than yourself? (laughs) Shocker, God. Um, Yeah. It all boils down to I trust God. Yeah. And what is something that you know or believe beyond a shadow of a doubt? I believe everyone has something at the core of them that they feel that way about. I know that God is love. I know that Jesus is real. It's just, it seems so simple, but that's it. Like, I know that it all boils down to, like, God. There's a verse that just, like, sums it up. Kind of what we've been talking about, like, trusting God and stuff. You probably know Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Did you want to share it? Sure. Yeah. So... It's, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I, I believe that. Life can suck. Like, people would argue I got harmed or whatever, but ultimately, you know, God has a, a really good plan in my life, and it's just trusting that. Yeah. Do you have a practice that you do on a regular basis that helps you stay connected to your faith or your sense of hope? Mm-hmm. Or something you turn to when you need it. Mm-hmm. So, kind of touched on it before, but I listened. I listened to the Bible on my phone, and specifically the Psalms. Um, yeah, I've I've always liked the Psalms, but after the accident, like I just regularly keep going back to that. So I'll listen to like lots of other you know books of the Bible, but the Psalms is the one that constantly I come back to, um, especially when I'm feeling sad and struggling with depression or doubt I just I put it on my phone and I I either exercise at the same time or do yoga at the same time or just lie there and listen to it sometimes I like to put it with the King James version because he's got a really nice accent (laughs) (laughs) so it's like extra soothing with the King James version but yeah that's something I I turn to regularly yeah like, what has it sort of... You talked a little bit about this before, but what what has it, like, meant to you? How has it helped you? Yeah, it's... Um, again, it's relating to the psalmist. It's relating to David and his anguish. Um, just how real and how raw his emotions are. Um, he's the one I, I relate to the most in the Bible. Yeah. Because I'm very emotional and poetic. <laughs> So it's just listening to him crying out to God over and over and facing so many trials in his life, some his own fault and some you know, not his fault at all. And so listening to that, that raw crying out to God, but then always turning it back to joy and to praise and to, to knowing that God is there. He never, he never, um, he never like turns on God. Does that make sense? Like even though he's going through all of these things and he can cry out and he can feel all of these human emotions, he still manages to praise God. 
<laughs> at the end of the day. And so for me, it's it's cathartic to cry out to God with Him, and then be reminded at the end, like, still gotta praise God. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And you can find Leah Nielsen's spiritual practice, Moving with the Psalms, in the spiritual practice library at keepingfaithpod.com, where you can listen to her guide you through it and try it out for yourself. This summer, Leah's launching a new business, Unicorn Scoops, a solar-powered electric ice cream bicycle serving the Guelph area. You can find out more at facebook.com slash unicornscoops. Keeping Faith is produced by Ron Kelly and Marin Smith. Our music is by Ron Kelly, and our design is by Barbara Kowalski. If this episode spoke to you, you can subscribe or leave us a review. But more importantly, pass it along to someone you care about. It's one way we can encourage each other to keep faith. Next week, I'll be talking to Rachel Hearn about how a high school history class on the historical Jesus led her down a path of spiritual questioning that changed her faith for good. So until then, holding you in hope and faith, I'm Marin Smith. See you next week.